This past summer, my family went through a lot. What these guys provided for me was beyond words, beyond measure. My name is Ike Kwan. I'm the uh, Chief Operating Officer here at the California Academy of Sciences. Two years ago, I was appointed by the mayor to become a public utilities commissioner. And in talking it over with my wife, Rhea, uh, she was okay with it uh, as long as I joined a small group. She wanted to make sure that I wouldn't become uh, unaccountable or that guy uh, who was so busy but not grounded in anything. As a guy, as a, as a you know, man working in the city, we all tend to be so focused and so busy. And I didn't know I needed the fellowship as, until I was in it. I'm not a hugger, and uh, I wasn't looking for a small group where we were gonna do any sort of a lot of hugging. I joined small group for the accountability, for the spiritual growth, and I was shocked by how wonderful these guys were as brothers and as dear friends. I can't describe what an untold source of strength this has been for me because I joined a small group because I thought I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to become a commissioner that's added responsibility. And I realized that my role here, here at work was about to expand three months after that. Uh, of course, I wouldn't have predicted that my, I would have lost my father this past summer. Uh, all the things in life that are unpredictable, uh, just the brothers in my small group were there for me uh, in such a powerful way knowing that they were praying for me and hearing their encouragements, uh, it made all the difference for me to be there for my family. This summer was probably one of the uh, hardest trials I've experienced as an adult, and uh, these guys were here for me. So uh, these men of faith, my, my brothers in my small group, were my heroes of faith. You guys are my heroes. And we do hug now at the start of every uh, small group, and I'm, I'm, I'm used to that now. Hug. All right. There you go. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> I'm going to share more stories about Ike later, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> it's great to be here this morning. Uh, I can't believe August is almost over. August is actually a very special month for my family because Michael and I were married in August. Uh, all three of our sons were born in August, believe it or not. Two of them actually have the same exact birthday, three years apart. The boys aren't very excited about sharing a birthday, but the rest of us think it's pretty cool. <laughs> and I myself celebrated a birthday this past week as well. So that's a big month for us, thank you. Yeah, I turned 39 for the ninth time. <laughs> Funny how that works, huh? You guys can do the math. And guess what I got for my birthday? I threw my back out. Yeah, it's so much fun getting old, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm gonna share from the book of Esther this morning, and it's somewhat ironic that I get to share about Esther because here's a little known fact about myself. My first name is actually Esther. Esther Alexandra is my name, and I switched to Alex when I went to college because growing up, I just wasn't all that excited about my first name, unfortunately. You know, it's kind of old-fashioned. It wasn't a hip name, and the kids used to make fun of it. They used to call me Esther Polyester, you know? <laughs> and uh, frankly, I didn't really like the biblical reference because Esther was this beautiful and brave woman, and I just never felt beautiful and brave. So 
That's kind of a lot to live up to. But over the years, I've really come to appreciate her story, and it turns out that she's actually a lot more relatable to all of us than I initially thought. So I'm very excited to share. And first, what I want to do is just give you a little bit of background about the Book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament. It takes place during the Persian Empire about 5th century BC. It's been over 100 years since the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and took the Jews captive back to Babylon. The Persians have since conquered the Babylonians and granted permission for the Jews to return to Jerusalem. But not all of them went back, since many of them had grown roots in the area and, and built lives for themselves and their families. And this story is about a Jewish community in the royal city of Susa, which is, in the, which is now part of modern-day Iran. The other thing to note about this book is that it's the only one in the entire Bible that makes no mention of God, not one word which I think is a clever technique by the author because it invites us to watch for how God works behind the scenes. Now, I'm gonna attempt to summarize the whole entire book of Esther in five minutes. And in the, in the interest of time, I'm gonna have to skip over a lot of juicy details and little subplots. And, uh, but if you've never actually read the book, I really encourage you to go back and read it. It's actually quite an entertaining story. It's full of twists and turns in the plot and ironic reversals and some very interesting characters. And I think it's better than any Jason Bourne movie out there. So <laughs> definitely check it out. All right, here we go. Once upon a time, the king of Persia gets really mad at his queen. So he banishes her. And they decide uh, to find a new queen. They decide to have a beauty contest. But you didn't know that the first season of The Bachelor happened in the Persian Empire, right? <laughs> Now enter Mordecai. Mordecai is Jewish, and he represents the Jews in Susa. He's sort of a minor government official, and he has a niece. Her name is Esther, and Esther is an orphan. You know, he takes her in, raises her, and she also happens to be quite beautiful. So he takes her to the palace and enters her into the contest and warns her, don't tell anyone that you're Jewish, and she obeys. And this is how the beauty contest works. Each girl spends a year undergoing beauty treatments, which in my opinion is probably a euphemism for pain. <laughs> and then she gets one night with the king. And when it comes Esther's turn, she is um, so, uh, has so much favor from the king, he just gets, is so smitten with her that he declares her the winner and he crowns her the queen of Persia. Now this is where the plot thickens. Enter Haman. Haman is our villain and he's second in command in the Persian kingdom. And when you see him, you're supposed to bow down to him to show him honor. And Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle, you know, he's kind of a stubborn guy. He won't do it. He won't do it. In fact, he doesn't give Haman the time of day. And this drives Haman mad. You know, it just puts him in a rage. He finds out that Mordecai is Jewish. And he decides, you know, it's not good enough to just kill Mordecai. I'm going to wipe out his entire race. Now, that's what I call an anger management problem. Don't you agree? <laughs> So he goes to the king and he kind of tricks the king into signing a decree for the annihilation of the Jews. And he doesn't name them by name, but he says, look, there are these people and they're kind of different and they're sort of dangerous and I think they're a threat and we need to get rid of them. So the king agrees and the decrees go out. When Mordecai and the other Jews hear about the decree, they are just distraught and devastated and they go into, into mourning. And in the Jewish culture, what that looked like was they would put sackcloth on and put ashes all over themselves and they would weep and wail in the streets and, and cause, cause quite a scene. Now, Esther hears the commotion 
And she gives her servant a set of fresh clothes and she sends them to Mordecai. And Mordecai refuses the new clothes. But he tells her through the servant all about Haman's plot and he implores her to go to the king to beg for mercy on behalf of the Jews. But the problem is it's actually illegal for you to approach the king unless you've been summoned. You know, the king isn't happy to see you, that's it, you could be executed. And it had been 30 days since Esther had been summoned by the king, so she wasn't feeling all that confident that uh, he wanted to see her. So her initial re uh, response to her uncle was, I'm sorry, uncle, I, I can't help you. You know, I could die. I'm not doing it. Let's take a look at the exchange between Esther and Mordecai at this point in the story. It's in your handout if you'd like to read along with me. It's found in Esther chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Warm and fuzzy uncle, right? He's like, face it, Esther, you're going to die. I can't imagine what was going through her mind. So I think she reconsiders and she sends this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther's famous words, probably the most famous quote from the entire book in the Bible. Well, she musters up the courage and approaches the king. Imagine her heart thumping as she enters his court. But he's actually thrilled to see her. He's thrilled to see her. She throws a banquet for the king and Haman. She reveals that she's Jewish and tells the king that someone in his kingdom has plotted to kill her and her people. The furious king demands, who is this person? And she drops the bomb and points the finger at the terrified Haman, who now knows that it's game over for him. Haman is executed, ironically, on the very gallows that he constructed for Mordecai. Mordecai is elevated to Haman's position, and the Jews are saved. The end. How'd I do? <laughs> Was that five minutes? <laughs> it's a great story. My kids love the story, too. Let's go back to Esther's dilemma, her, her defining moment, you know, when she's trying to figure out what to do. I mean, talk about a risky, difficult situation. <sighs> you know, but... I mean, she's, she's almost pushed, if not shoved, outside of her comfort zone. And if I, know, I know that following God sometimes, um, you know, it's just not comfortable, is it? And I think what Esther's story shows us is that there are some very challenging aspects of faith. Very challenging aspects of faith. And that's what I want to dig into a little bit in our time together this morning. So the first aspect of faith that I think is very challenging, um, is action. Action. God wants our faith to be action-oriented. Clearly, God's plan here is to save the Jews. And he could have chosen to do that in a number of ways. And for some reason, he takes this young girl, puts her smack in the middle of it, and gives her a starring role. And I actually think that on a lot of levels, maybe Esther was just trying to survive. You know, maybe being on the Persian voucher was just a way to put food on the table for herself. I mean, she, she seems to just want to mind her own business, not make any waves. But God seems to have a different plan for her. He calls her to action. And that's what he does with us as well. He calls us to action. Let's take a look at Ephesians 2.10. We're going to put it up. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's two principles here. The first is that God wants us to do good works. What are good works? Uh, simply defined as serving others. That's how I like to think of it. You know, it's when you put other people's needs above your own. You know, Jesus came to this earth to serve, not to be served. He ultimately died for us. And it's true that it's just faith in him alone that saves us, that gives us eternal life. I mean, good works, doing good works doesn't earn our salvation. That's true. However, in response to what Jesus has done for us, God wants us to live out our faith serving others. So that's principle number one. The second one I think might be a little bit of a new idea for some of us. God actually has specific good works in mind for each of us. You know, that means that he wants to use you specifically for a specific purpose. And it might be something completely different than what he has in mind for the person sitting next to you. God is always working in the background. He's always orchestrating something. He's teeing up opportunities for us to be used by him. You know what I think? I think that there's no such, such thing as a coincidence. No such thing. It's not a coincidence that the Queen of Persia is Jewish in this story. It's not a coincidence that your coworker who's going through some health issues moved in right across the street from you. It's not a coincidence that you keep running into the coordinator of the Cornerstone Nursery at Trader Joe's. <laughs> By the way, did you know that they keep asking me to serve in the nursery here? All right? You know that if they're asking a blind girl, they're pretty desperate. <laughs> so please serve in the nursery. <laughs> Shameless plug, I know. <laughs> but we should be looking for these opportunities to step up these good works that God has prepared for us in advance. But many of us don't respond to God's call to action. You know, a lot of us just aren't paying attention for a number of reasons. You know, maybe, maybe we're just trying to survive. There's, there's not a lot of margin in our lives, right? I mean, life is so busy, and we're just not paying attention. Maybe some of us are just too busy with our own agendas. You know, we're kind of selfish about it. I mean, this, I'm definitely guilty of this. You know, I want to do what I want to do. And I want to serve, you know, the way I want to serve. But it might not necessarily be what God wants from me. And some of us, you know, maybe we don't feel like we have anything to contribute. This was definitely Esther's deal. Remember when Mordecai first asked her for help, her initial response was, I, what can I do? I'm powerless. I'm just a girl in a harem. But you see, God tees it up for us. You know, he sets us up for success. All we have to do is just step up. You know, he wants to use us where we are, how we are. It doesn't matter if we don't feel ready or if we feel like we're not perfect. Esther and Mordecai certainly weren't perfect. And if there's one thing I know about God, it's that he uses imperfect people all the time for his perfect plan. But it's our choice. It's our choice. He doesn't force us. He doesn't force us. But consider this. He doesn't need us, but he invites us. He doesn't need us. He's God, but he invites us. Mordecai tells Esther, if you are silent, relief for the Jews will come another way. Remember that? I think he had faith that God would prevail even if Esther didn't step up. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you try to use a pen and it's out of ink? What do you do? Don't overthink it. What do you do? You just use another pen, right? You find another pen. If we don't step up, God will find someone else to use. He will. But it's our loss. It's our loss. It's, 
it's, we're the ones that, that miss out on the opportunity to grow. We're the ones that miss out on experiencing him. And we're the ones that miss out on the blessing. Last year, Cornerstone suffered a great and sudden loss. One of our staff members, her name was Aletha. I'm sure many of you knew her. She went home to be with the Lord, leaving behind her husband, Vincent, and her beautiful infant son, Hosea. We miss her dearly. Aletha was an amazing woman with big, bold faith, maybe bigger and bolder than anybody I've ever met in my life. And she found Jesus here at Cornerstone. And she found Cornerstone because a coworker of hers named Tony accepted God's invitation to share his faith with her over a cup of coffee. He said it was the first time he'd ever shared his faith with anybody. And it came out awkward and messy. But when it was done, he invited her to church and the rest is history. Tony believes that if he hadn't stepped up that day, Aletha would still have found Jesus somehow because she was on a path. But man, he's so glad he did. What a blessing. What a blessing it was for him to be used by God in Aletha's life. God calls us to action. The next thing I want to talk about that Esther's story highlights, I think, is authenticity. Authenticity. God wants us to be the same person seven days a week, no matter where we go, whether we're in here or out there. And for many of us, uh, identifying as Christ followers in our workplaces, in our communities, to our extended families, you know, it's not a big deal. We're very comfortable with it, and that's great. That's great. But for some of us, it's hard. It's hard, and I, I want to acknowledge that. Because it's not popular to be a Christian in today's culture, especially in a city like San Francisco. You know, I get it. Esther gets it too, I think, because she was in the same boat. The Jews back then were regarded a lot like how Christians are regarded today in our culture. Narrow-minded, kind of strange, maybe even crazy. She was in hiding, remember? She was on the DL. She didn't tell anybody she was Jewish. And I think that she sent those clothes to Mordecai when he was mourning because she thought he was going to blow her cover. And yet, she had to come out of hiding. She had to step boldly into her true identity to save her people. And I think that's what God wants us to do, too. He wants us to come out of hiding. You know, how can we make Jesus known if we can't even identify with knowing him? And I'm not talking about being obnoxious or being in people's faces with our faith. But I am talking about looking for opportunities to reveal elements of our faith naturally to those around us, you know, to be comfortable with that. Like what Tony did with Aletha. He saw that she was seeking, and he seized the moment. As Tony was, re was reflecting on his experience with, uh, with Aletha, he told me that he realized that God created all of us to seek him, all of us, whether we know it or not, and that we can take courage in this fact as we make Jesus known to those around us. And it reminds me of um, this great verse, Romans 1.16. I'll put it up. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul says. I am not ashamed, for it is the power of God who brings salvation to those who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. You know, we don't have to worry about closing the deal. God closes the deal. We just have to put it out there. God wants us to be authentic. You know, he wants us to come out of hiding. What will it take for you to come out of hiding? Ike Kwan, you met him earlier in the video, um, years ago, he went on a senior leadership retreat at the academy, and they were sharing, uh, doing like a little icebreaker, and the question was, when life gets really tough, what keeps you going? And he said people were sharing answers like, you know, my kids, my 
hobbies, my pets, those, those types of things. But when it came Ike's turn, he said he just had to tell the truth. So he just put it out there. Jesus Christ, my personal Lord and Savior. There, you know, he just put it out there. And it was followed by a long, awkward silence. <laughs> and then to make it more awkward, somebody said, well, that's nice. <laughs> but he was fine with it. He was okay with it. And if the chief operating officer at the academy, who also happens to be a city commissioner, can come out of hiding, I think we can too. A few days later, his colleague, uh, who also was at the retreat, uh, she reached out to him and she was so excited. She said, Ike, I've been praying for months for God to show me another believer around here. And it's you, you know? Isn't that great? If nothing else, coming out of hiding, it helps us find each other, doesn't it? And there's more of us out there than you might think. And especially in the workplace where we spend so much time, uh, it's, it's just so great to have safety and security and numbers, right? An anchor point, a community of believers where we can pray for one another, encourage one another, we can witness as a team. God wants us to be authentic. All right, the last aspect of faith that I want to talk about um, is ambiguity. Ambiguity. And this is probably maybe the most challenging thing. When we follow God, there are times when we need to have a tolerance for a certain level of ambiguity. And in our culture today, where it's all about information and knowledge and control of that information and knowledge, it's really, really difficult. What I appreciate about the book of Esther is that the text doesn't say, then God told Esther to talk to the king. It doesn't say that. Mordecai, in fact, says, who knows that you've come to this position for such a time as this, right? He doesn't say, God told me, or I know for sure. He says, who knows? He wasn't sure either. And I really relate to that, because sometimes it's just not clear what God wants us to do, you know? And, and we like clarity. And I wish sometimes God would just text me. Well, that'd be great. It would save so much time. <laughs> I wish there was a, a button in the Cornerstone app, right, that we could hit and there would be a message from God. Wouldn't that be great? You know? It'd be a great thing to add to the functionality of that app. But unfortunately, we have to do a little work if, if we want to hear from God, don't we? If we want to seek more clarity, we, it, takes a little bit of, it takes a little bit of work. First and foremost, we can pray. You know, we just talk to him. We say, Lord, show us, you know, show us, show us if, where we can serve you, or maybe we're asking for guidance um, along a particular situation in our life. We can read the Bible. A lot of times he reveals himself. He, he, he will speak to you through a story or a passage or a, or a Bible verse. We can learn from Esther's example and fast. Um, it's not, fasting isn't as common today, but it is still a wonderful uh, practice. If you're trying to hear God, abstaining from food or maybe technology or really anything that poses a distraction, it can be very helpful. You can ask others to fast and pray with you. And we can seek wise counsel. You know, I hope there's somebody in your life who is walking with the Lord, who, who loves you enough that they'll tell you the truth no matter what. You know, not just somebody who is going to tell you what you want to hear. I have a true story for you. Um, Michael and I, we met in college, and we dated for five years. And then he bought an engagement ring, unbeknownst to me. And then he broke up with me. <laughs> 
And then he prayed and read his Bible, and he really felt like God was saying, you know, go back to Alex. You know, I want you to marry her. So then he proposed, and here we are 24 years later. Eh? I mean, it wasn't the order in which I would have preferred things to happen. <laughs> so God does give us some clarity, but sometimes, even when it's clear um, what he wants us to do, it's rarely clear how it's going to turn out, especially when the stakes are high. You know, and the stakes are high sometimes. You know, there are risks, there are potential costs, and that fear of the unknown, it can just be so paralyzing. And we get stuck. We get stuck. You know, Esther didn't know if she would live or die. Her battle cry was, if I perish, I perish. You know, that, that, it's courageous, but it doesn't sound that confident to me. Right? I'll probably die, but I'll give it a whirl. All right? All right? It doesn't sound confident to me. But she pushed through those unknowns, and I imagine gripping fear and stepped up anyway. If you're not feeling confident about the situation, let your confidence in God carry you through. Because sometimes faith means acting and trusting God despite the ambiguous circumstances. Five years ago, uh, my husband got a job offer here in San Francisco. We were living in Charleston, South Carolina at the time, happy as clams. We uh, had both sets of grandparents live in the same neighborhood as us, i.e. free babysitting, right? And yet, um, we felt that God was uh, calling us to San Francisco. Michael and I prayed and fasted about it, and that's what we thought he was saying to us. And we had some pretty significant financial obstacles, so we were hesitating. And I remember my stepmom asked me, she said, well, is God calling you? I said, I think so. And she said, well, then what's the problem? I said, Does God, doesn't God know how bad the real estate market is right now? <laughs> you know, I mean, we have all these properties, so we're going to go bankrupt trying to move. And then she reminded me, Alex, you know, if all the details were worked out, that wouldn't be faith, would it? That would be logic. So my husband and I took a deep breath, and it felt like stepping off the side of a cliff. He accepted that job offer. And that very next morning, we got a cash offer on one of our properties that had been on the market for a year and a half. We closed in a week. And one by one, God took care of every obstacle, every detail, and brought us here to San Francisco. You know, when we step up, God steps in. When we step up, God, God steps in. I wish it was the other way around, but it usually isn't. Psalm 37.5, I'm going to put it up. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. We step up, and then God steps in. But sometimes things don't work out, right? At least not the way we want them to work out. There are times in our journey with God where we triumph, and there are times when we struggle, and we begin to wonder, does God see me? Does he care? Why did God make you blind, one of my sons asked me. So you could get away with playing video games right in front of me, I said. <laughs> I don't know, buddy. I don't know. I don't know why. It's easy to be swallowed up by those why questions because sometimes we feel like we can't get a break. In 2010, I was diagnosed with cancer. This is when I was living back in Charleston. After treatment, they told me I was cured. Never thought I'd have to think about it ever again. But a year ago, it came back, and it came back with a vengeance. Stage four, no cure, they said. Experimental treatment is your only hope. 
the doctor said. And oh, by the way, if you find something that works, you'll be in treatment the rest of your life. It was a dark time for me. But God was calling me to step up. And this time, stepping up looked like this. To simply trust him no matter how it turns out. To simply trust him no matter how it turns out. I'm happy to report that for now it's turning out okay. Pretty darn good, actually. Because the only experimental treatment that I was eligible for in the entire country was not in Charleston or on the East Coast. It was right here in San Francisco, three miles from my house. What a great and awesome God we worship and serve, right? And praise God that I'm, I'm beating the odds. Yeah. I'm beating the odds. I'm still here. You know, we're human. We're not God. We only see what's right in front of us. You know, we don't see that big picture. And, and when God reveals that bigger picture, you know, when he shows us his higher purpose and his plan, it is absolutely astounding. Astounding and so humbling. You know, Esther thought she won a beauty contest, but God was setting her up to save her people. I thought I was moving to San Francisco for my husband's career, but God wanted to sustain my life. You know, there's still a lot of ambiguity in my life. I don't know how much longer my current treatment will keep working. But I'm going to keep trusting that God's will is perfect for me. Following Jesus can be a risky business, but the potential return is huge. It's huge. And it's not because we're guaranteed happiness, because we're not but because we experience God in powerful ways and our faith grows. And when our faith grows, so does peace and joy. As I close, I just want to encourage you all to step up. Defining moments come in all shapes and sizes. You know, for some of you, God wants you to accept Jesus. Maybe you've been seeking long enough. Or maybe when your coworker asks you what you did this weekend, you're going to tell them for the first time that you went to church. Or maybe, like Esther, you need to push through the fear of the unknown and step up to what God is calling you to do. Or maybe, like this Esther, stepping up simply means trusting God no matter what. The band's going to come up in a minute, and we're going to have a time of giving, but let me close in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you, Lord, for Esther. Thank you for your word. For her example of stepping up, give us the courage and confidence to live boldly for you, Lord. Help us to trust you, even through the fear and the ambiguousness. Help us to live our lives courageously. Thank you for your unfailing love through your son, Jesus.